Welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast, where we are practicing the art of kindness and civil discourse and authenticity and storytelling. Our goal is to foster a healthy dialogue about race relations in our community. We seek common ground for common good and hope these conversations encourage you to build authentic relationships outside your race or comfort zone. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of United Voice Oklahoma podcast. We are your host. I'm Cece Jones Davis. Waylon Cubitt, where are you? I'm here. I'm here, <laughs> and I'm Waylon Cubitt. <laughs> this week on the podcast, our guest is Sarah Adams Cornell. I love Sarah. Sarah is an advocate for Native American culture, education, and rights. She is a citizen of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma and serves on the board of directors for Sovereign Community School, where she focuses on community engagement. Sarah co-created an intertribal organization to empower Native women called Matriarch that serves women in Central and Northeast Oklahoma. We are so excited to have her here with us today to talk about race relations in Oklahoma from her perspective as a Native American leader in our community. Sarah, welcome. I am so glad that you're here. I'm busting at the seams. I'm busting at the seams. We are so glad. And listen, this is why it's really important that Sarah's here. It's important because as we talk so much about race relations in Oklahoma and across the country, there is a very important narrative and a very important perspective that is too often, most often, left out, and that is the Native American narrative. Uh, and being here in Oklahoma, um, I, I think that's terrible, honestly. As a person that does so much talking about race, I think it's awful um, because... Uh, Oklahoma, and Sarah can get me straight in a minute, but Oklahoma, I'm not from Oklahoma, but this is what I understand, that Oklahoma ha- is uh, home to so many of the, of the natives across the country, like it has a high, high number of, um, of native folks, and to leave, leave that story out of our talk about race, it just cannot continue to happen. And so, and we Sarah, do it continually. All the time. Yeah, we do it continually. And I'll say more about that in a little while. But Sarah, thank you. Because we need your voice. Thank you so much. Alito, Saho Chifawat, Sarah Adams Cornell, Choctaw Hoyosia, So Ishki at Tammy Adams Sapogni at Dorothy Jefferson, Oklahoma City Atali. And I just, in my way, in my language, I just expressed myself and said thank you and that I am Choctaw and I'm the daughter of Tammy Adams and the granddaughter of Dorothy Jefferson. And I live in Oklahoma City. I'm so pleased to be on this show and to be with you today. I think it's super important that we, you you know, in this time where we're talking about indigenous people, we use these languages um, because if we don't use them, we lose them. And um, I think it's beautiful when we can express ourselves in our native tongues, um, which are the the first languages of the of the land that we're standing on. It's amazing, right? So there, there's always everybody has to know this, but before you can record a podcast, there's always a conversation before you start recording the podcast. And so, uh, Sarah, you you came in informing. <laughs> right? You came in informing. And I thought, 
I wanted to say, just stop. Don't talk because that is so rich, what you're yeah. sharing, that other people could uh, grow from, especially people like me. Yeah, we like need to me. press record. Yeah. yeah, we need to start press recording, just like whatever. But you you said some things in full disclosure. You came here because of CC. So I many people Cece. come I because of CC. I love that you said that. Waylon, did you yeah, hear? I heard. She that's your friend. But that's it's now my friend. my friend after five minutes. Right. But in full disclosure, she came because of CC and the resistance or the the wall that was put up was not because my name is Waylon. It's because I'm a police officer and there's some some things. Kind of explain what you what yeah. the, the, the discomfort this created and why. Yeah, I I hesitated initially with the podcast just because I don't feel safe around police. Um, that it's something that um, the relationship between my community and police. Um, has um, for a lot of indigenous people, we just don't, and I would say a lot of people of color, we just don't feel safe around police. Um, and so I came in here knowing that this would also be, um, it is part of my responsibility to make sure that I'm engaging in dialogue and conversation because I know things don't change without that. And so I've not done due diligence um, on my end to try to correct um, that piece. And so I do look forward to getting to know you and yeah. and hopefully um, changing my mind about some things as well. But um, it always does. Um, it, it just makes me nervous because I don't feel safe. Well, let me let me say this is I, I, I am sorry for the profession that I love to create the history that it has, that 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 feeling has to even present itself in a, in a conversation that's so so uh, needed to have. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. Uh, and I'm not trying to say what they did. I'm sorry for what we did, mm-hmm. right? I wear the badge. Uh, that is my profession. That is uh, not exactly who I am. It is what I do. And so I just want to embrace that and just tell you right now, I apologize. My. I apologize. And, and I want to do better. We're going to do better. Well, right, I really appreciate um, you saying that and, and look forward to getting to know you better. Great. Great. He's really good people. <laughs> I mean, you know, a little rough around the edges, but once you get to know him, Waylon's very cool. Um, Sarah, can you start by just uh, kind of telling um, our listeners about yourself? Like, you know, just tell us about your background, growing up, your family. Tell us anything you want us to know. Sure. Um I think first and foremost, um, I'm an Ishki, I'm a mama. And um, that to me is my most important role as um, a person, an indigenous woman who comes from a matriarchal and matrilineal tribe. Like I know my role and responsibility as part of that matriarch. Um, and it's to, um, it's to be a good mama. It's to teach these ways that give stability, that give love, that give encouragement and that give life to um, our babies, um, whether that's teaching um, like our ways of living, our ways of education, our ways of um, celebrating who we are as women, whether it's our moons or our rites of passage or all the things that encapsulate um, being a life giver. Um, and so from there, everything kind of just um, dominoes out. I certainly have a heart and a passion for indigenizing education, um, for raising up our women and being a good support, a good relative to make sure that they feel supported and loved in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have um, 
a heart for creating safe spaces for trauma healing to happen. And that's, um, those are some of my loves. And from any one of those, we can talk about organizations that that do that work that I'm really lucky to be a part of. But there's so much good work going on in Oklahoma around indigenous communities um, to counteract some of the things that we see that impact us, like murdered and missing indigenous women. And um, the fact that, you know, I know we know that you know, Oklahoma incarcerates more women than any other place in the world. And of that per capita, indigenous women are jailed and and incarcerated at higher rates than any other group of people. So that means we are targeting indigenous women, number one in the world. And and there are reasons why that happens. So my um, having somebody pass the mic to me is definitely a privilege that I don't take for granted. And I try to always wrap back around to those issues so that we can connect the dots and understand to try to reduce that. Okay, let's go back a little bit further, because I I know we're going to get into a very rich conversation about your work. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated. One of the first three words out of your mouth had something to do with um, maternal has something to do with ma- um, matrilineal or something like that, mm-hmm. and I don't know exactly what you mean by what that means to you and your culture. Can you explain that? Absolutely, it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite things. So, um, in the United States, we generally um, operate under a patriarchy. So, women when they marry, they take their husbands' last names in a lot of ways, and and a, a lot of time that was actually based in um, ownership, and it had to do with you became the property of your husband, your belongings then became his and so on and so forth. And matrilineal and matriarchal um, societies are very different. So in my culture for Choctaw people, traditionally, all the women, the women owned the land, the house. um, And even when you talk about um, those lines, it would be if I had a boy child, it would be more the um, the obligation of my brother to teach my son than it would be my husband. Mm-hmm. Because by my brother teaching that boy child, he's learning my family's ways, not his father's wow. ways. And so it all connects back to the mother and her line. And that was definitely by design. Mm-hmm. Um, I will also say that matriarchy is not the opposite of patriarchy. Patriarchy has to do with power and oppression and ownership. And matriarchy is much more about balance and about it's not about women having all the power. It's about balance uh, and equity. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. I need to know more about your family. Mm-hmm. I need to know more about um, and and I'm excuse just. Pardon me, because I'm just very intrigued. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me more about your parents, about um, if you all are from Oklahoma, what part of Oklahoma, that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, so my um, my dad is white and my mom is Choctaw. And my mom's people grew up in um, southeastern Oklahoma in um, kind of in that same place, like Idabel, um, Hayworth. That's where our family allotment is. And um, so it was just these teeny tiny little towns down in southeastern Oklahoma. My, my mother's father and mother went to Goodland Indian School. And it was mainly made up of Choctaw and Chickasaw children at that time. But I think 
when we say school or boarding school, like that's not it was what it was. It was an assimilation factory. It was a sexual abuse um, industry. It was a place um, to be healed from. Like it was not education. And so understanding that the education system for indigenous people started in that place, like we can connect the dots now and see why we have a 58% graduation rate for native kids in Oklahoma city. Like mm-hmm. it is, um, there are strong ties to that. Um, and so they, uh, my grandparents moved to Oklahoma city as part of a program. They had lots of these like relocation, um, programs like across the United States where they would say to indigenous people, well, hey, if you leave your your um, your home and you go and you move to California or you move to a city, then we will like fund the move or give you a certain amount of money. But what that was, was trying to pull them from their homelands to then uh, assimilate them into white culture. And it was very impactful and effective um, as opposed to staying in how we are most healthy, which is tribal, um, a tribal understanding and way of living with our community. Um, it's the way we're healthiest. Um, and so they moved to Oklahoma City. My mom and dad met at U.S. Grant High School in South Oklahoma City, which yeah. is where I went to school. <laughs> and um, yeah, I have one brother, a younger brother by 16 months. And uh, he's a rascal, Russ. Um <laughs> I love him. And then I have two daughters, Isabella, who is 18, who goes to um, Fort Lewis College in uh, Durango, Colorado. And then I have a 13-year-old daughter, Gabby. Uh, We call her Tiny Raptor. Um, She hates that now. She used to love it no more. (laughs) And she's definitely, uh, she's just got the biggest spirit. And and I'm really lucky to be their mom. Does she go to Grant too? She, uh, no, she is in middle school right now. So she's at UConn. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I want to, I want to, man, Cece, you got me trapped on the matriarch thing i mm-hmm. never something. heard that and it's so interesting and the brother and that whole thing we could probably take a whole lesson on that so we got to talk more <laughs> you got to educate sure. me more about about that and then the schools i was telling you uh about a boarding school that 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 my family had a connection to that i just learned mm-hmm. called wheelock down yep. in in southeastern oklahoma and it was an all-girls school mm-hmm. And there was a, and when you when you say we can track that that education piece, I'm really interested about that because my uh, my dad told me about his struggle uh, of reading, but he was raised by his grandmother mm. who went to that school, uh, and if it was if and he, she couldn't help him with homework, he said uh, she spoke Choctaw. Now she was African American, but mm-hmm. she she spoke Choctaw. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he couldn't never get any help, so he said he taught himself to read after becoming adult, working for um, uh, a white family, a rich white family in Nichols Hills. Wow! And so the fact that that you are telling me now that there was really no real education going on in 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 those places, I don't know if we like fits that same category or not, but it really kind of makes me think, man. I I, I kind of had a little problem reading myself, you know, <laughs> and and I, I had a hard time reading. They were they were definitely they definitely had teachers teaching in the schools, but it was very um, whitewashed um, curriculum that did not accept any amount of indigeneity into that process. So 
when I say there wasn't, it wasn't education, it, it was abusive education to where they told them that they were dirty Indians, that they smelled all the time. They, that they, they tried to, um, what is the, the quote, um, kill the Indian, save the man. Mm -hmm. And that was really their, 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 um, goal and objective was to make them feel so ashamed of who they are as indigenous people, um, telling them that they would go to, they could either um, accept, they could um, be Indian or they could accept God and go to heaven and you can't be both. Mm -hmm. And so they, you know, (laughs) used religion as this tool of um, oppression as well. Um, And so it was definitely not um, a healthy place. But I will say that my grandmother came out of that, um, that institution with this love for learning, and she actually went on to college. Um, My grandfather had a lot of troubles. And he was, um, he was a boxer, golden glove boxer when he was um, a younger man. But he was a very troubled alcoholic later in his life. Because as we know, we don't give our men outlets to, you know, when you are denied the fundamental um, right to protect your home, your land, your family, um, that demasculinizes Mm -hmm. our men and what are the alternatives at that time? Well, alcohol was available. And so like understanding and me now, like having more understanding of that and knowing that um, to forgive, you know, and understand why some of this generational trauma exists in our families. So, yeah. You use this term and I, and I just caught it. And I think maybe you can kind of give a definition for, for our listeners is when you said my family's allotment was in the Southeastern part of, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Usually, when people say my family's from there, mm-hmm. but you said my family's allotment. Can you yeah. can you kind of dissect yeah. allotment? For, sure. Educate us a little bit on that. So, whenever the government came through and did the Dolls Rules, um, they collected all the names. It was like a census, right? And so, it was to basically record all the indigenous people in a certain area. And once you were, and lots of Native people were like, hell no, I'm not doing that. Oops, I don't know if I guess. <laughs> I'm not doing that. They wouldn't put their name on the list. They moved. They tried to like evade, like if they knew they were coming in to collect, they would move to a different area to try to keep their names off the list. Um, because there was such a distrust for the government um, that once your name was on the list, then you were given, depending on if you were a man, a woman, or a child, you were allotted a, a certain amount of land. And what they did is they had this checkerboard system so that your husband's land might be three counties away and your land as his wife was, you know, way far. So how are you going to do that? Well, you would only live in one place. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times that other land would go back to the government because of, you know, or it would fall out of trust because of, you know, one reason or another, not paying taxes or whatever it was. And so you were allotted a a piece of land and um, that's, Um, What happened instead of living in your tribal community in Oklahoma, which that land was promised to them for as long as the grass grows and the waters flow. um, And so instead of saying, "Okay, well, this is a Choctaw land, we're introducing individual ownership, which completely changed the way we lived as 
tribal people. Yeah, yeah. It broke us all up, and they would put a white family and a native family and a white family and a native family. So when you do that, you're automatically going to – it's harder to get back to your home for traditions, for – um, gatherings to maintain your language, to maintain your ceremony. And then you intermarry with white people as well, which means your blood quantum lowers and you have to have a certain blood quantum to keep that land in trust. And so it was all this plan to make, basically make that land go back to the government. Um, that's interesting. I remember the first time I met you. I came uh, to a bookstore. I think it was on the northeast side. Uh, Nappy Roots. Hear, yep. To <laughs> hear you talk, and um, I had I had so many questions. And one of my questions to you that day was, um, being in Oklahoma, you know, you see people with the license plates, you know, um, kind of you know signifying the tribe, their tribes. Um, but they'll get out the car and they're completely like a, a white appearing person. Mm-hmm. And being a person not from Oklahoma, where uh, where from a place where I don't see the Native community visibly um, a lot, I, it was really confusing to me. Like, mm-hmm. how do you how do you determine how is being a Native determined? How much mm-hmm. of a Native would you need to be? Like mm-hmm. that was kind of my question. And so, and I, I remember your answer, but I'm wondering if you would answer the, answer that question for the audience. Sure, I'll probably answer it different this time. A eh? <laughs> so, um, as far as blood quantum, that is absolutely a colonized. Um, um, term or way of thinking about indigenous people. So for indigenous people, if you were a part of our community, then you were you were a tribal member. If you married into our community, you became a part of our tribe. Like we did not consider people with blood quantum like half or, you know, three quarters or full. Like that was just not a part of our identification. That was absolutely 100% imposed by the US government to at some point, pull that quantity down so that they could take resources away from us um, that were within, you know, treaties or land, uh, land management. Um, And so for me, as a Choctaw woman, I, while I have a card, and I think it's messed up, because there isn't any other group of people that has to carry a card around to prove their their worth or their, you know, do you believe, do you belong or don't you belong? Mm-hmm. Like it's just messed. I mean, dogs and horses, that's, those are the other, you know, living things that, you know, have um, pedigree, you know? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. in looking at it that way, it's something that's, that's really harmful to our community too, because there are also tribes that now implement um, qu- um, a quantum, um, minimum to be a member of that nation. So we do have indigenous people in Oklahoma that are like an eighth of several different tribes, you know, six different tribes, and then they're, you know, a quarter something else, but they don't meet the minimum. They could be a full blood Indian and not meet the minimum require of any of those tribes and not have any, um, not be considered a citizen of any tribe. And so, like, when you think about it like that, you're like, wow, that's really messed up. But it happens a lot. Mm. Um, Also, you know, we were talking about this, too, freedmen. Um, I think that is ridiculous that many of our tribes do not honor 
their responsibility to our freedmen. And um, and that's another one of those government-sanctioned kind of ways of thinking about being part of a community or not. Right. So we got to so we got to go there. I want to save that jewel that you just said mm-hmm. about Friedman kind of on the way out because it's so big. Okay. But this whole black white conversation, we had this when we we talked to uh, our Asian friend. But when we have when you hear the conversation of race relations in America, how does the native listen in here or engage in that conversation? Because it is for the most part. It is talking about the relationship between blacks and whites mm-hmm. in this country and in this state. So when you hear the debate on TV, you hear all of this stuff, how do how do you listen to it and how do you describe and how do you chime in? How do we get how right. do we make this have this conversation? Um, I think that's a really good point because we are such a small percentage of the population in the country and, and larger in the state as opposed to other states that have a smaller population. Um, it's really difficult, like having having a seat at the table. Um, sometimes there isn't one, so we got to bring our own powwow chair. But it's one of those things that we are absolutely um, changing within our state and the United States. For the first time, we now have two um, Congresswomen, um, Indigenous women in Congress. Um, that's and this is the first time, and it's you know. 2020, you know, it's, it's ridiculous to me that this, these are the first indigenous women to serve at that um, level of government. But what we do is we just have to absolutely make sure that we are going into places and, and representing our people. And sometimes that's visually. And while I think tokeniz- uh, tokenization is a real issue that happens with indigenous people, they want us to come, but they want us to dance and be in our regalia, but they don't want us to say a word. They don't want to hear what we have to say. You can have a seat at the table, but as, you can't eat. As long as you look pretty. <laughs> right, like right, the right. tourism yeah. dollars alone that are used off indigenous backs to yes. bring people to the state is ridiculous. Yeah. And the fact that they would not pass that um, that Native American museum um, here in Oklahoma City is ridiculous. Like I want to say, either we stop <laughs> and our dollars from our tribe stop, or you recognize us and give us space to protect our people and to make sure that um, that we have equity. Um, and so for me, it means when I get those invitations that say, "Will you come dance for us?" or Will you come wear your regalia or whatever or come bring the dance troupe? I go, no, I'm sorry, I can't. But we can have a conversation about something that pertains to it and have representation from our community. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hurting feelings, right, yeah, and right, saying right. no to certain invitations. And then that exposure, it, it's hard to say no because that exposure – is helpful on one level. It is, but it's not. Just yeah, fear. it is, but it's not. Like it still lets people see that we're here, but it keeps us dated in yes. leather and feathers, right? right? Like, right. like they see us as these historic people mm-hmm. who are not contemporary. Right. Yeah, right. we are tokenized, right? Mm-hmm. We are, we are still back in the Western films, mm-hmm. and we have no real role in society, which absolutely contributes to the rate of of uh, domestic violence and sexual assault against our women. There is an incredible study, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit. There's an incredible study that Crystal Echo Hawk um, recently completed um, through her group Illuminatives. And it basically is the most comprehensive um, contemporary data 
pull that leads to information about Indigenous people or about Indigenous people. And there is still a large population that thinks we're subhuman, like that we are not fully human. Mm -hmm. And then there's another part of the population that thinks we don't exist, like we're all dead. And so when you think somebody is subhuman, it's much easier to harm them. It's much easier to rape them or murder them because they aren't real that you know like the notions that slaves didn't feel pain like regular people did or that indigenous people um could withstand more pain than other than white people like all of those horrible misnomers continue on because they think we're subhuman and so in that way it's incredibly important that I show up wearing my ribbon skirts, that you see me as an indigenous woman, but I'm doing that in a way that represents who we are today, contributing members of society whose land you're on. Right, right. And then respect the tradition, right? How yeah. You, yeah, that's a big, that's a big problem, right? That's a, that's a big problem. So tell me this, we talked <coughs> and, and you tell me that, 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 You've had a talk with your elders about this. And so I want education. Mm -hmm. I feel like, and I have felt for a long time, that African-Americans and Native Americans, especially here in Oklahoma, have a long overdue conversation that we're not having. Absolutely. And 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 I think I stumbled on why we're not having the conversation, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think we're not having the conversations because we're we're really ignorant about each other's existence in this state, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. and and how that came across. So, what I know, and you might be able to, but tell me more from from my elders and your elders. We're going to have mm-hmm. a conversation. Mm-hmm. So, my elders have I've learned that we came to Oklahoma uh, on the Trail of Tears mm-hmm. from the southeastern Oklahoma as, as Indian removal was taking place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we found ourselves in my particular family in southeastern Oklahoma uh, as slaves of Choctaw Indians, mm-hmm. uh, which creates this Freedman role, uh, which is I was able to look at and find some some history and actually get the Can name. You define Freedman for folks. Yeah, that's what I was going to kind of. So there's the there's the role the the Dolls Commission that you were just speaking of, it, which kind of went through to kind of characterize and list and name. The indigenous people or the native people from the five of the last tribes, so Choctaw. Oh, I'm going to mess all the five of them up: Chickasaw, Cherokee, Cherokee. Chickasaw, Cherokee Creek, um, and um, let's see, Choctaw, Cherokee Creek, and uh, Seminole, Seminole, and Chickasaw. Okay. Yeah, right. I know I was going to mess it up. I was going to try. I was probably going to throw Osage in there. You know, I was going to say Osage because I'm reading this. This book. Are uh, you the the, uh, the Osage murders? Yes, yeah, yeah, I'm reading that, so I'm, I'm that's on my brain right now. But uh, so the, then, so they they said, okay, well, if you're slaves of the of an of a five civilized tribes, we owe you something. We got to mm-hmm. do something. And so the United States didn't want to particularly take credit for those slaves, and and some of the five civilized tribes wanted to give them limited or or try to figure out the category where they fit in the tribe mm-hmm. or in the, in the, in that family or in that community. And so they, they categorize them on the Freedman role. And so you find, and they went and they found your husband, your wife, and who was your slave owner and all that kind of stuff. And so um, on my particular list, on my Freedman role for my family, we found the name of the slave owner, which was just intrigued me. I mean, I'm like, who is this? I mean, right. wow. They got yeah. the name is actually there. Mm-hmm. So we have some place to start, Yeah, but then nobody's, talking about it Absolutely. Uh, and it and it start talking about it my dad is even a little naive about that he knew there were some 
connection to the Choctaw, mm-hmm. but it was very limited until we started looking at the names and doing some little research on that. Why are we yeah. not having blacks in Oklahoma and uh, natives in Oklahoma? How did we miss this conversation? Yeah. Well, first of all, we're not taught about it, right? Like yes. it's completely not a part of history classes. Um, so there is a huge gap there. But I think there is a responsibility on the part of Native tribes to address this. Because um, when I learned about it, which sadly was like into my 20s, um, I was appalled. How could an oppressed people oppress people? I was ashamed. I wanted to know how did this happen? Why did this happen? How long did this happen? What is our responsibility now? Like all of these questions that I'm sure you probably had as well. And um, later on when I was, um, I have an elder um, from the OK Choctaw Tribal Alliance. I used to be an active uh, member there. And I asked him about it. And he was somebody that I could confide in and be real honest with. And I just said, you know, what in the world why did we do this? You know, why were we a part of this oppression mechanism that had been oppressing us, right? And he said, he told me that it wasn't like slavery, like people think about slavery. This is what he had been taught, that many slaves escaped into Indian land, which they would be safe within Indian territory, Indian land, because the government couldn't go there and pull them back. I guess they probably could if they wanted to, right? but they became members of our community. And so they intermarried with mem- with members of our community. And when they did those roles, if you were black, identifiably black, you weren't, a, you weren't an indigenous person, you were a black person. So mm-hmm. even children from tribal members and former slaves or freedmen were categorized as freedmen even though they were technically tribal members, right? Like they were born from that tribe. And then I dug into it more because while I appreciate that, um, you know, and that, you know, helps us sleep better at night as indigenous people, (laughs) I wasn't going to settle with that. Like, so I dug more and I have a friend, Miss Raji Walton, who is like the freedman, knowledge keeper extraordinaire she's she's uh she's a descendant of freedmen and um she i had this conversation i was like you know is this real what my elder told me is this a is this a thing that stands with your community or how do you feel about that and she said um slavery is slavery no matter how you look at it and to me i was like it's good enough for me. You know, like, mm-hmm. I can't argue with that because uh, well, I wasn't I, there to know that that was the case. Right. She's right. But I can argue, just in my family's treatment, that it wasn't exactly cattle-like. Like in it the may South. have been may different, different. But my big question is, were they free to go? Were they free to leave? And okay. I don't know the answer to that. <clears throat> right. If you're not free know. to go and then leave, then, then you're a slave, you well, know, and that's... Well, here's the here's the question though. Maybe they weren't free to they they maybe they were free to leave, but where do they go, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that's the mm-hmm. whole creation of why we needed to make the the role mm-hmm. is because the United States is is making these treaties and these deals, and they're trying to they're trying to uh, move the railroad out that direction. So they got to buy land, mm-hmm. and they got to make these deals with with tribes, and they're going well. We we canceled slavery in 1865. 
And so we can't really exchange money with with you all until you uh, free the slaves. Mm. And, and then I can see, I don't know, in my imagination, where they can go if they want to go. And they go, well, but they don't have any place to go. So you're going to have to you're going to have to put them part of the tribe. And they go, well, that we can't. They're not really part of the tribe. They're, I mean, you you brought them here from. But in our way, they are. Like you bring people into your community, you intermarry, you do that. In our way, you become part of the tribe. Our old way. Yep. But but the United government. Yeah, but the government is putting they an economic. Don't yeah, that. they're putting yeah. an economic value. So you're going to have mm-hmm. to divide it up. Yes. So they don't recognize that. Right. But our old tribal ways did. did. And right. so, per that understanding, we have our tribes absolutely have a responsibility to honor those relationships, that kinship that we have. And there has been just ridiculous acts from our tribes to disenroll um, freedmen or discontinue benefit, not benefits, but rights, rights. tribal rights for freedmen. And what does that come down to for you in your mind? Mm-hmm. What is what is that? That's colonization. Was that really like about? that is colonization? Like there is no other word for it because if we understand our obligation and not obligation, but just our way of being indigenous people, mm-hmm. like we didn't like we don't do stuff. We don't do that. <laughs> right, that's right. messed that's up. That, that is not the way that we operate. Right. And that absolutely. And people are like, well, what about um, you know, if we have to enroll all these other people, like, uh, you know, there's a scarcity mentality that there won't be enough mm-hmm. to go around. It's okay, like, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. too bad. Like, yeah. it, like they're our family. They're a part of our tribe. Honor it. Yeah. Like, do not whatever impose means. colonization yeah. Yeah. on on other people because of scarcity mentality. Yeah, yeah that's Ugh. really good. Um, Sarah, I know we're kind of running out of time, but I need you to talk about, I need you to talk about matriarch a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I would love for you to talk about the sovereign school. Yes. And because I know that was oh. monumental. It was and, beautiful. And I know that took a lot. That took a lot. So I want you to definitely talk about those two things. And then I want us to close out talking about like stereotypes mm-hmm. and some terminologies. Sure. And just kind of providing um, just a basic kind of education around those kinds of things for folks before we close out. Yeah. Okay. Matriarch. So Matriarch. Matriarch is um, a nonprofit organization, an intertribal um, organization for women, um, indigenous women. We have a chapter. Um, I co-founded that with Kendra Wilson Clements, another Choctaw woman. And we have a chapter in Oklahoma City and one in Tulsa. And it really is, um, for a lot of us, this um, safety net um, and this place to come together. We have a speaker every class, an indigenous woman. That's kind of the magic sauce here is we have an indigenous woman who's a subject matter expert in whatever the topic is come in and talk to us because we know that we need that interaction from another indigenous woman to really connect to these issues that impact us as opposed to, you know, a government program coming in and talk, you know, we know those things don't work. Um, And so we meet twice a month. We bring our babies with us because while we are doing trauma healing for a lot of us who are survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence, we're doing preventative work for our babies at the same time. And so we have this intergenerational dialogue. We had the most amazing youth led class last week that just still just lights me up. Um, 
but um, it's educational. We support each other and it's about trauma healing. Um, And we're in our fourth year and it is so much more than I thought. I thought it was going to be one year, maybe 12 of us meet around the kitchen table and have some coffee and, you know, talk. How do people find out more about Matriarch? You got a website? We don't yet, but we will have soon, but they can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. It's Matriarch Okay on um, Facebook. Okay, Matriarch. Okay. Okay, Sovereign School. Sovereign. So Sovereign Community School, uh, we we basically, like I, as I had mentioned before, we have an abysmal graduation rate for Native kids in Oklahoma City. And um, the community really got together to say, what can we do about this? And so it's a community-led and designed school that indigenizes education. Um, and that would mean, you know, instead of reading Shakespeare, you're going to read Joy Harjo. Or um, And um, our community said that indigenizing education is one of the pillars. Wellness is a huge one, like the uh, mental health, um, physical health, spiritual, relational health, um, relationship to the land, those were paramount. So wellness is a huge part in our school. They go to wellness class every day where they learn about um, learning about their emotions and feelings and how to solve these things ourselves with our, our cultural knowledge. Um, and then um, really a rigorous understanding uh, or education with an understanding about sovereignty and tribal politics or tribal law as well. Mm. So these babies are going to come out of this school with like this understanding about tr- sovereignty and tribal law, and mm. they can run for office at a much younger age and revolutionize the way we do tribal uh, politics Goodness. in Oklahoma. I'm just excited. That's right. incredible. So, right. so the school, a reg- a regular quote unquote school, like not like Monday to Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a charter school, okay. and so we have uh, we're in Oklahoma City right now. We have sixth and ninth grade, but next year we're building out I think three different grades. Mm-hmm. So we grow every year until we're a full junior in high school. Where, where is it at? It's over on uh, near 127th and Kelly, the old um, uh, Seaworth Academy. The old okay, we're in yeah. their campus, so right. we're loving I'm it. I'm coming to see you. Yes, or if please I can get do. a tour. Yes, okay. we would love All right. that. That is, and so how do um, if um, there are um, indigenous people listening and they want to know more about the school and maybe become part of the school, mm-hmm. how do they do that? Yeah, so we have a Facebook page and we also have a website if you just Google Sovereign Community School. Okay. It is the new wave. And I think tribes, like there's this whole conversation about um, uh educational sovereignty and we have a right to educate our children but more importantly the school is for anyone like anybody can apply you do not have to be an indigenous person to apply Mm -hmm. it's about wellness and it's about learning about things from different vantage points which we know makes children perform higher um, and make better grades in school when they have that understanding phenomenal um in 60, second or le- 60, 60 seconds or less, I'm going to throw out some terms and you give me what you can in, in a short amount of time. Sure. Um, cultural appropriation. Um, anytime you use something that doesn't belong to your culture, it is, um, it, it is inappropriate to be using it. Yeah. 
What's an example of that? I'm like if someone, um, like headdress, yep. native headdress, or you talked about earlier, you were talking about ribbon skirts. Yep. Using the word tribe, using the huh. word um, like um, powwow when you mean like a meeting or something, huh. wearing. I'm so that's, that's guilty picnic. of that. That's, that's picnic I am so for guilty of that. People. When you know better, you do better, I right? Get caught, I get caught. I've, I've been, my, I got a coworker that catches me. I said, hey, man, let's get together and just, I think we just need to powwow about that a little bit. And he goes, hey, dude, you did it again. I'm like, I did, I did, I did. <laughs> that's how bad it is. That's good. That is well, bad. Uh, thank you for educating yeah. us. Yes. Stakeholder. Okay, so I this one I have I I didn't recognize it for a long time too, but I know that it can be tied to the fact that there were during land run there were stakeholders who would you know run for land and place that stake in in the land to claim it and basically somebody who's important but Indigenous people were not allowed to hold those stakes. Amazing oh, stakeholder. I look here. I will take change it off my. You can just call it white people. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the biggest stereotype, negative stereotype about natives in your mind? Mm, I think people still um, associate us with the past. They think we don't pay taxes. They think that we go to college for free. They think, but it's it's interesting. But then they also think we have all this casino money. I don't get a dime for anything, you know, mm -hmm. nothing. Um, there are times that it, there are services that my tribe has that I'm able to tap into. My daughter got a scholarship from the Choctaw Nation, but it certainly didn't cover all of her school or right. anything like that. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good stuff. I think also just how we identify ourselves. Mm -hmm. I get this question a lot is like, well, can I say Indian or should I say native or should I say indigenous? My preferred um, the, the the thing that I like to be called the most is Choctaw, because that's my tribe. Uh, secondly, indigenous, because it removes the borders to the north and the south, and we're all indigenous, which helps my kinship to my sisters, both to the north and south, um, because those are imaginary borders that got put on us. Right. Mm. Um, and then native. And then really, I don't like to be called an Indian, but we do it within our community, uh -huh. if that makes sense. It does make sense. It does right, make sense. Right. So I need to go. I've got so much work to do. We got You're, a whole lot of work to me? do. Yes. Okay. I'm just, I am so dumb. We, we got a right. whole lot, we got a whole lot of work to do. Um, there was one more red skin. Oh, oh sister, you left the, the best for the last. Um, it is absolutely a racial slur. It is um, a red skin is a detached flesh of a native person from about the top of your head to the back of your neck. Um, and um, the, whenever the, the French and English were colonizing, they paid people to go out and kill native people. The body started stacking up. The stench was getting bad. So they said, okay, instead of bringing the body to us, bring us the red skin. And the red skin was that detached piece of flesh. You brought it to the government. They gave you some money, depending on if it was a man, a woman, or a child. And that's what a red skin is. It is not an indigenous person, at Thank least you. not a live one. Thank you. We wow. need to think about so good. We need to think about that a lot. Well, Sarah, I really want to thank you so much for being here. And before we close, I really want to acknowledge that the building that we are sitting in uh, is on land that um, that that was 
in, for indigenous people that was, mm-hmm. I don't know if you all use the term owned, um, but I, I don't know another word right now, but this was indigenous land. Mm-hmm. And so I really want to acknowledge that even the space that we're taking up for this podcast was not originally ours, that it belonged to other people. And uh, I, I really want to honor that in closing out. Thank so you. thank you. Yeah, cookie. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for it. the education. I got so much to learn. <laughs> we'll do it together. Yes. All right. Thank you. Yeah, cookie. So that's all for today, folks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm Waylon Cubitt. I'm and C. as C. always, this is... Don't be, wait a minute. I'm C.C. Jones-Davis. Don't be closing out without me. I don't want to close out without you. As always, share it, like it, review it. We seek the common ground for the common good. And that's it for United Voice Oklahoma for today. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. If you like what you heard, please take time to leave us a review and share it with your friends and family. It really does help us to get these conversations out to more people. This podcast is a production of United Voice Oklahoma, one of the initiatives of the Stronger Together movement, and is produced by OKC Good and Reese Black. For more stories, Promoting a healthy relationship on race in Oklahoma, follow United Voice Oklahoma on Facebook or visit unitedvoiceok.org.